This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Toll. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode where I sit down with another lead singer to talk about what it's like to front a band. Today we have a great show. Maddie Mullins of Memphis May Fire joins me, and he really puts it all out there. Um, it's funny, a couple years back when we did Warp Tour in 2013, Maddie kind of rubbed me the wrong way with some of the things he was saying on stage. And we talk about this in the podcast. Um, but it really wasn't until this past summer on Warped Again when I really got to know him and realized he's a pretty good dude. He's a really good dude. So we talk about that. And, of course, uh, since this is his first on the show, we talk about how he got started uh, you know, in his journey to where he is now being the front man of a really big band. Before we jump in, I want everyone to know they can get in touch with me in a variety of ways. I'm going to start using the Lead Singer Syndrome Twitter a lot more. So uh, check that out. It's Lead Singer Syn, S-Y-N. So go on there, follow the show, send me a message, a reply, whatever it is, what you thought of the episode. Of course, if you have any suggestions for the show, I always love to hear that as well. We're also on Facebook. We have an Instagram. You can add my personal accounts too, which is at Shane Told on pretty much everything. I don't know if you guys ended up listening to the very, very end of the last episode with uh, Will Pugh of Cartel, but there was a bit of a secret message I hope you guys heard. And basically what it said is that we're working on some kind of a lead singer syndrome, you know, club for the super fans where, you know, maybe you can get some additional content or some merch and stuff like that for supporting the show. So we're working on that and we really want to hear from you guys. Um, you know, you're going to be the ones that are you know, going to join up. So we really want to know what kinds of things you'd want to see from that. So get in touch again, uh, on Twitter is probably a really awesome way. I think I'm going to be a lot faster on there than I am with replying to emails, but, um, definitely if you want to email me, that's available too. It's a uh, lead singer syndrome at gmail.com until we get that sorted out though. Uh, you can support the show by going to lead slash Amazon and what happens when you do that is you go right to the Amazon homepage, log in just like you normally would, and whatever you buy, whether it's like, hey, it's you know maybe you got to get some new golf clubs. I don't know, spring's coming. <laughs> whatever it is, we get four percent, which is a, a decent cut, you know. So if you spend a hundred bucks, we get four bucks, and you know if we get a bunch of people doing it, it really can uh, add up. So it's great, and it, it costs you absolutely nothing. So really, um, if if you want to support the show, if you like what you hear, and you're going to buy any. I mean, Amazon has everything. So it's real simple. Just leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Right now, I'm on tour uh, with Silverstein. I am sitting in a Hampton Inn parking lot in Troy, Michigan. The tour just started, and so far, it's been awesome. Uh, four days. I mean, my voice probably sounds a little bit raspy, which tends to happen on days off. I don't really know why. 
But the first four shows, I've felt awesome. The shows have been great. Uh, we're out with Being Is an Ocean, Amorosa, some other great bands. I hope you guys are all coming out. Uh, check the tour dates. See if we're coming through anywhere close. Come out. Ask me about the show, too. I've had lots of people say, hey, man, I love your podcast, which is which is really cool and really nice to hear. So um, if you want to get tickets, it's uh, silverstein.soundrink.com, and we have VIP packages as well if you want to check that out. Anyways, uh, thanks again, everybody, for being here with me on my podcast. And um, without further ado, here's my chat with Maddie Mullins of Memphis May Fire. Uh, you're in, where are you, Nashville? Yeah, that's where I live. How long have you been there? Uh, we moved here about two years ago, and uh, Corey and Kellen moved at the same time. They were both living in Dallas, and I was living in Seattle, and we all just kind of made a, it wasn't even like a mutual decision. It was just like they, you know, Corey's originally from Murfreesboro and wanted to move back, and Kellen wanted something new, and so they kind of came, and we kind of came at the same time and ended up here right about the same time a couple years ago, so it's cool. It's really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I um, I know you're originally from like Washington, right? Spokane. Yeah, well, yeah. Actually, we got um, we announced the tour this morning. And I hadn't even seen the routing yet because it's it's been like hectic, and um, <laughs> they 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 sent us a tentative routing and uh, and it looked completely different. And then we got the actual routing today, and it has Spokane on it, which is super random. I mean, I don't know how often you guys get to play Spokane. No, but it it's seems rare. Like, it's the dude, um, the Big Easy venue we've played a or what is it called now? Knitting Factory. They changed yeah, the name. It's an, it's a knitting factory now, but it's just so random that we get up there. And I mean, all you know, back in the day, I used to tell our booking agent, like, "Hey, can we put Spokane on this? Can we put Spokane on this?" And it was always a, a no. So yeah. Um, so when I do see it, it's always a it's always a pleasant surprise. I'm excited well, to go back and play. You would know. I mean, growing up there, you would know better than anybody if kids actually, you know, like growing up in Spokane. Would you drive to Seattle for shows all the time? No, I mean that's pretty that's pretty gnarly. And you know, there's there's a bunch of months of the year where there's snow and so Mountains driving over too, Snoqualmie yeah, right. Pass and it, it's just uh it, it's hectic and that's a long drive you know so yeah how far I have no idea how far is it like five hours maybe yeah about five hours yeah. so I probably went like once or twice for shows in my my entire childhood living there so. yeah it totally makes sense like then then being you know in a band now being like hey I want to you know play shows to my younger self <laughs> totally yeah well I mean do back in the day when I lived in Spokane the scene was a lot better than it is now it's like now it's um it's really hard for anybody to keep an all ages venue open when they're not serving alcohol and and so um, yeah you know back in the day we had like uh, when the Big Easy was there we had that we had a really cool little coffee shop venue called the Empyrean we had a venue called the Detour oh I played the Detour um, yeah totally yeah, that was and wow then, that was uh, a real uh, that was kind of a shithole yeah <laughs> but that that's that's the first place that I ever went to a to to like a rock concert ever in my life and so it was like a a big deal for me there was fat tuesdays um okay i don't know if you remember that place no, but I, it I used don't. To, there used to be a bunch of cool venues man and i and and i wish it was still like that but it's not however the knitting factory is great it's a really solid venue and i'm glad they've been able to keep that open super so. yeah it's super awesome it's like super you know it's uh it's it's, it's a, like it's the standard you know it's like got everything you need for a touring band to come through so it's it's nice to have that uh that in town. So you said you're um, you're working on some tunes, uh, Memphis May Fire stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've actually had almost two months off to write, which is the most time that I've ever had to write in the history of the band. So um, just naturally, it's our it's by far our best record. I'm not saying that just because I'm in the band, but I'm just saying it because we've had so much time to work on these tracks and um, and and just put everything we have into them and go back through and dissect them and make them perfect and. Um, so I'm really happy with, is it, with what we've got together. Is so. it done? Is it written the whole record? Yeah. So at this point, um, I'm, I'm just going through and fine tuning stuff, but yeah, it's, it, I've, I've been finished for about a week and we start tracking at, well, they are actually, Kellen is already in, Kellen and Corey are already in Phoenix working on instruments and then I'll go on February 1st and start tracking vocals. So, so when you guys, uh, write an album and now this is your, I mean, with you in the band, this is going to be what your fourth one. Uh, this will be our fifth full length and we also put out an EP that I was on and before I was in the band, they just put out one EP. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so when you guys write a, a record, do you typically write, like, a ton of songs? Like, I was talking to Pierre from Simple Plan. They write 75 songs. Do you guys, like, go crazy overboard, or do you just kind of write what ends up on the record? No, I, you know, it's always been that we've always been in a time crunch and you know kellen will be working on instrumentals all year but it's never that it's just kind of like a few chord progressions and like a hook idea and then we kind of build off that we've never been that kind of band i mean by the time i hear an instrumental it's like completely finished with all the programming and like just incredible pre-pro you know kellen's brilliant and so he's been working on music that way forever and so he'll send us something that sounds like in my opinion, good enough to just be on the record, you know? And so it's a huge blessing for me. Um, we'll get instrumentals all year long. And then when it comes down to time to record, I'll kind of spend a little bit of time on the road and a little bit of time at home writing and, and then kind of finish it all up in the studio. This will be the first time that I haven't had to write anything in the studio at all. So sure. Yeah. It's just going to be amazing, dude. Um, yeah, like this this podcast, like people, every time I get like kind of on the technical side with talking to singers about like that stuff, people are always really stoked on it, which which like for us, it's like kind of the boring stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but people yeah. like love to hear that. So I'm always so like you guys have like if you guys have a record, you say pretty much done. How many tracks do you have that you go into the studio with do you or do you just do like like 12 or whatever? Yeah, it's been, you know, in the past like 10, 11 has been kind of the standard and we just roll with what we've got cool um that's what we do too that's what we do too yeah totally and and i I think that there are a lot of bands that do that or go to the studio with nothing at all and just kind of put a record together that would that would be way too way too uh stressful for me dude i could not and i i mean like that's how unconditional was for me so i spent two and a half months in the studio in Phoenix, which, um, you know, God bless Phoenix and, and all the people that live there, but for, you know, like the weather and the dryness and everything there, it's not my favorite no, place to be no, for, no. for two and a half months. Um, no, did you find like vocally that you were like having to drink way more water or are you like having it, yeah, to cut your just, session short or anything? It exhausted in general, man. I mean, like yeah. my eyes were, were burning and my, my throat was, was dry. It was really tough. And, and now we're doing another record in Phoenix. So yay. You know, <laughs> Well, I guess um, who's the producer out there you're working with? Uh, well, I'm tra- I'm gonna get track my vocals with Cameron Mizell as I have for the past you know s- five records, and uh, the guys are uh, working with Matt Good and his assistant there, and then I think we'll send it off to someone else to mix it. Is that I'm Matt Good from First yet. to Last? Matt Good? Yeah, 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 same guy. He's an old buddy of mine. Totally, yeah. So nice. we're excited, and I think he just moved into a new studio space down in in the Phoenix area. And so we're excited to, to get cracking on that. And, but no, with this record, we're going in with, uh, 13 songs. I don't know if all 13 are going to end up on the album or if we're going to keep one or two for B sides or, um, you know, like Spotify exclusives or whatever they'll want us to do with it. But I'm, I'm going down with, you know, 13 completely finished tracks. And that's, that's coming out on rise as, as, uh, as the last uh, few records have, right? Yeah. We actually just signed to rise again. Okay, Um, cool. For, for this record and the next one, we re-signed for two more albums because Unconditional was our final record with them. So. Nice. Yeah, no, they're awesome. You know, we're on, obviously, we're on Rise 2, and it's been, like, mm-hmm. the best record label experience we've ever had. Yeah, so, totally. Totally. Uh, I know you guys were on Trust Kill Records. How was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude, I mean, like, it was uh, it was a struggle. And, I you know, I, I've i maintained my relationship with Josh, the owner, and um, I think he's a really good dude that kind of has made some bad choices or did, mm-hmm. but in the past. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, I think dude, people are people and everybody makes mistakes and it just sucks when your mistakes kind of swallow you in this industry. And, um, you know, I, I think that he does have a good heart and he's got a beautiful baby girl now as well. And, um, so his life's changed quite a bit, but, um, you know, back then I think that it was one mistake after another and, and it, you know, the label started to sink and, and that was right when we signed. And so, um, we kind of started to sync with the label and had to find our way off and kind of rebuild the band from there. And so it was a nightmare and, um, you know, but, but these days we're in a better spot and I, I wish Josh all the best. So when you joined the band, uh, were you guys already signed to trust kill or did that come after you joined? No, they were, they had just yeah. signed the deal with, um, with their original singer to put out that EP that they put out right after right. that. So yeah, I did kind of come into that, that situation, not knowing, um, what it was going to be like and, and not really understanding the deal completely. But, um, I was also able to, 
to figure out a way for us to to walk away from the label um, with a clean slate, and uh, and so I, I think it all worked out. But it was uh, at that time it was it was hectic for sure. Oh, so you were able to get out of your deal, like you guys had signed for more records, but you were able to get out of the out of the deal, like kind of on a technicality. Yeah, no, it wasn't a technicality. Well, we had um, we agreed at that point. I just told Josh, you know. Um, it's unfortunate everything that's happening with the label, but um, we're a new band and we're trying to figure out how to make this work. And at that time, dude, with his reputation, we were, um, we, you know, it had burnt bridges with Hot Topic for merchandise and with booking agents for tours and everything. And like, just because we were, you know, we were guilty by association, so we were we didn't have any opportunities because of that. And um, he he was doing all that he could for us, but it was all tied in with the mistakes he was making at that time. And so um, I had uh, proposed that we do an EP. And give him, you know, 100% publishing on it. Um, oh, okay. Essentially, like, give him a record that looks like he wrote it and put it out and just completely collects all the money. And we gave him 100% of the publishing for our catalog up to that point as well. So basically, just, like, get, handed over the rights of everything yeah. we had done up to that point to be able to walk away with a clean slate. And, and um, so we, that's what we did, yeah. That is a super interesting um, and, I mean, in hindsight, very smart uh, business decision um, and I'm sure he probably, he probably regrets that. Although, you know, you could say that, that your band would never be where you were without, you know, ended up ending up kind of getting your second chance on rise. Yeah, you know? totally. And, and yeah, at that point in time, I mean, a band like ours needed exposure that only rise could really offer. And there were other good labels around, you know, like Epitaph and Fearless and everything were doing well as well. But, you know, for what we were trying to do musically, we knew that rise was the was the place for us and yeah um yeah because we were tied in with that trust kill thing and everything rise didn't even want to give us a deal either um you know we we had gotten off of trust kill and um our booking agent dropped us and our manager dropped us and everything just it, everyone said that we were dead in the water and um and so basically we uh hit up cameron uh Mizell and asked him if he would do a record pro bono just be like hey would you do a record we think that we're writing great music and um when it signs then when we sign then we'll get you your budget and he yeah, yeah. Uh, gr- gracefully agreed to do that and uh halfway through the recording process his relationship with Rise was what gave us kind of an in with them and started the negotiations for our first record deal with them. Very cool, very cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a really super weird thing because I had heard of your band when you were on Trustkill, and I remember, uh, you know, I think you guys had submitted for some of our tours and stuff, and, you know, I liked you guys and and whatever, but, you know, you just didn't have, I guess, the, like, popularity, you know, drawing kids we were looking for, you know, like, on tour. And then I remember a couple years kind of went by, and... I saw, I kept hearing everybody like on social media, I kept hearing everyone talking about the new uh, Memphis May Fire record. And I was like, what? Is this the same band? Like the Trust Kill band? <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, don't, I think that was uh, like the, the, the Hollow. Is that the, your second record? Yeah, that was the first one that we put out on Rise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was, I think it was when that came, one came out. And I was like, and everyone was talking about you guys like, um, y- you know, like you'd been doing it forever kind of thing. And it yeah. was it was really strange to me how how and I was and I kind of like I ended up going to your Wikipedia page or whatever and been like oh okay they were on Trust Kill now they're on Rise and of course like you know that record did its thing and then it was like a year later or whatever you guys put out uh, that like huge record it like just fucking exploded yeah Challenger we was the follow up record to that oh that wasn't a um, pun with the Challenger exploding but uh, that's... yeah <laughs> yeah no man and it, it like dude our our come up like our our story is is really random and and um oh it's super unique yeah it, it's it's very rare for for a band especially a band that has a second singer to get another chance let alone just all of a sudden just explode like you guys are like you know your latest record was like in the top 10 on the bill top five i think on the billboard right it's like insane yeah. so I mean, yeah that, yeah, that's, yeah that that success is like that's something whoever is behind all that uh you know and you're obviously your music too is that's a really an amazing thing yeah it was it was a miracle man and um you know, it was different. There's a million reasons why we shouldn't have worked, why it should have been just another casualty of bad, you know, uh, label experiences and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, we, we pushed so hard. And um, when we had gotten dropped by our booking agent and by our manager and everything, we did everything on our own for a while until we found new management. And then finally, um, 
a new booking agent and uh and and then from there it just kept growing and we uh we just didn't let it stop you know and there were definitely times where we had had band meetings and uh we were in thousands of dollars of debt with merch now <clears throat> for for merchandise that they had ordered before I was even in the band that they sure, that we could yeah. sell through and and um I was getting the email saying I was going to get sued because now I was taking the responsibility for the merchandise orders and stuff. And we, and, and we just, it, it felt so overwhelming and it felt like there's nothing, it wasn't going to work. But, um, but you know, Kellen and I working together, we're two like completely different people, um, that just end up working really good together when it comes to writing music. And, uh, and so when we do, um, we both saw potential that, um, you know, that, that we thought, if we went hard enough and long enough, it, it just couldn't go unnoticed. And, and, uh, to a certain extent, you know, I think that that that's become true and, and we're really thankful for it, man. We're super thankful. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. Well, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, it's first time on the show. And I always like to start a little bit with, you know, how you kind of got, uh, involved in, you know, the music scene and, and everything, you know, your kind of path up to where you are now. And when I was doing a little bit of research on you, uh, I thought it was really interesting how you, you're from Spokane and basically you just on a leap of faith, you're like 19 years old and you're already married, which is, which yeah. is kind of crazy for this generation, you know, this, this day and age, I guess. And Super you just crazy, were yeah. like, boom, let's, let's move to Dallas, baby. Let's try this out. Like that whole thing is so crazy to me. Um, like, can you, can you talk about how that all happened? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I've got, you know, a, a big group of friends in Spokane that I was playing music with. Um, and we, we were all trying to have, you know, like little startup projects that we were hoping would click and, and it would all work. And so I was in a handful of bands before Memphis and, um, we would do little regional tours and stuff up in the Northwest. And, uh, you know, I was pushing really hard for the band I was in at the current time. And, um, you know, a couple of my buddies that had moved out of Spokane and kind of gotten a better grasp of what the music industry actually looked like. You know, we all had a yeah. pretty skewed version of what it looked like just being from the Northwest and hardly ever getting out of there. Um, yeah. and they took me out for lunch and they're like, Hey, we, um, we heard about this band, uh, called Memphis Mayfire. They're from Dallas and they're a brand new band and they only put out an EP and their singer just quit and they've been going through an audition process. And, um, we think that you should try out. And so, um, I hopped on MySpace. <laughs> and, oh yeah, uh, MySpace, right? Of course, that was that was the jam back then, man. Totally, that's how they were doing the audition process, and uh, basically sending MySpace messages back and forth, and emailing audio files and stuff. And so uh, they sent me a a track from their new record. Um, I listened to the EP, and um, it wasn't for me. You know what I mean? I think that the band was good back then. They've always been good, and I. Uh, but it wasn't something that I was interested in. I'm from the Northwest and they were kind of a Southern rock thing. There's not really a yeah. Southern rock bone in my body. And so there isn't one in mine heard, either. I'm from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Northern rock so, for me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and <laughs> I, I, so I listened to it and, and I, and I fell in love with the instrumental, um, that was for the new record. And I was like, okay, um, I think I can give this a try. And the, the working title for that song was decade. And I think it became uh, Destiny for the Willing. That's the song that I wrote to try out with. And um, so I took it into a studio and just wrote to it with my buddy and sent it, sent it to him. And they were immediately um, excited about it compared to all the other auditions that they got just because they felt that for whatever reason, my voice fit the mold better. And <clears throat> I didn't expect that to be the case at all. So I was pleased to hear that. And they asked if I would fly down and... Um, you know, and, and try out in person. So I bought a plane ticket the next day and flew out and, uh, we practiced in Kellen's dad's living room. Um, just like went through a couple songs and, and they were like, all right, that's it. If you're down to move, then, then we're down to have you. And, um, we'd like to play our first show in about four weeks from now. Wow. <laughs> and wow. I was like, Very oh, fast. Okay. Yeah. So I flew back and I told my wife, Hey, is there any way that you could get a job transfer to, Dallas and uh she tried and it worked and we loaded up our forerunner with everything that we had and drove all the way down to Dallas and and I jumped right into it and, and you're and you're 19 years old at this point and I was 19 and how old point, was yeah. your wife 19 yeah 19 we're, we're well. about the same age yeah mm -hmm. wow what, what was her job at the time 
At the time, she was working uh, for Nordstrom in the cosmetic department. Wow. So it's a big company. is yeah, yeah, yeah. easier to do a transfer with than, than a smaller company would be. So we were thankful for yeah, that. Yeah, well, you're very like, um, you know, a lot of uh, musicians and, and people, um, you know, some, some people have more of a private, you know, relationship with their wife and, and their or their girlfriend. Um, you're pretty public with yours. And I know your wife's name, Brittany, right? I know just from like following you on Instagram. Yeah. Um, so how, how did you guys meet and, um, and, and get married? Like, why did you get married at such an early age and all that? It just, all that stuff is really interesting to me. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got kind of a fairy tale love story and it's, uh, it's always wild to talk about it cause I know it's so rare and I think more than anything, it might just make people mad when I talk about it. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we were, uh, we met freshman year in high school and, uh, she was a cheerleader, uh, you know, kind of hung out in that crowd. And I, I came in with my like emo hair and, uh, girls jeans on and, uh, had horrible acne back then and everything. It was just like, there's no way that it would have ever worked. Um, you know, she was popular and I was far from that. And, um, uh, one day we were passing in the hallway and I told my friend Steven, I was like, dude, who is that? That is like the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And he's like, don't even try it. She's dating a baseball player. It'll never work. And I was like, <laughs> I said, okay, you know, whatever. Uh, about a week later, uh, my band at the time when I was a freshman had a show at this little venue in Spokane called The Shop. And um, I just went up to her and I was like, hey, you know, my band's playing at The the Shop. And if you want to come check us out tomorrow night, then I, I'd love to have you. And um, it worked out so well, man. There is this... Um, I think it's like a Japanese college in Spokane called Mukagawa. And every time that they go out um, somewhere, they go out as a big group. And for whatever reason, they had heard about the show and the entire Mukagawa like group of students ended up going to the show. So it just made us look really cool. Like what, there, there probably would have been, you know, five or six people there, but instead there was like 150 people right. there and the venue is yeah. packed. So I was so stoked and, and it just looked rad. Um, and so, you know, we met officially that night she came to the show and it was kind of cold outside. I took my jacket off and put it over her and I thanked her for coming. And, um, and that was it. You never looked and back. That was, that was it, man. She, and she uh, immediately realized the relationship that she was in at the time, uh, was not for her. She, uh, she left her boyfriend and we started dating and, um, and we never broke up once, man. I mean, like it was, uh, she lost the majority of her friends for dating me because they all thought I was a dork and, um, she didn't care. She just, she, she yeah. really loved me at the time. And, um, and that, that was so awesome. Well, her friends and were so right. We, you are kind of a dork. Yeah, I do. I still am a dork. I'm still that kid. <laughs> I'm st and I'm still wearing girls jeans too. <laughs> cool. That's funny. No, I remember back when girls jeans actually like, like it was actually legitimately hard to find men's skinny jeans and we did yeah. all wear girls. We would go to the gap straight to the women's section. That was what you wore. <laughs> Yeah, totally, dude. Or, you know, Nordstrom or Banana Republic, whoever had the coolest girls jeans at the time, you know. There you go. That's no, Nordstrom, yeah, you got the hookup. Maybe that's that's the real reason you started dating her. <laughs> yeah, what's funny is that um, I worked for Nordstrom uh, before she did. When I was when I was 18, we first got married, she was working at Starbucks. And I was working for Nordstrom. I was selling shoes there. And it was one of the first good jobs that I had. Um and so I kind of introduced her to, to some people there and she eventually ended up applying and, and took her career with Nordstrom way farther than I ever did. Um, she ended up going all the way to the buying office and that's why we were living in Seattle for a while is because she was a buyer for Nordstrom. And so, okay. um, so that was awesome. And, uh, but yeah, you know, our, our story, we, uh, when we were juniors in high school, I proposed on stage in Portland at a venue called rock and roll pizza. I'm sure you remember it. I actually don't know that venue. No. Oh, okay. Well, back in the day, we used to play there all the time. Okay. The Northwest, we'd go down there, and it was a pretty popular little venue. Um, but yeah, I proposed on stage at like a Christmas sweater show there, and uh, my dad was a pastor, so he did our wedding, and we, we got married like a week after we graduated high school. And uh, the first apartment that we ever had was the first time that either of us had ever lived outside of our parents' house, and it was just kind of a miracle how it all worked out, man. And um, because we got married so young, and didn't have any baggage that we brought into the relationship or anything like that. You know, we've just chose to, to grow together and, um, and to, to always make sure that we're on the same level, um, you know, with the love that we have for each other and in and, and our spiritual lives and everything. And so, um, it's just been a constant growth process and, and, and yeah, so we're, we're not, we're, we're stoked to be public about our, our love and our marriage and we love to inspire other young couples to, to do the same. And, right. Um, so yeah. 
uh, you say your dad's a pastor, and I know you're like a pretty religious dude. Um, you know, you don't hold back at all in, in your like telling people about your beliefs. How much of that was, you know, well, I don't want to have premarital sex, so I better get married. Was that a factor? No, I mean, I guess, you know, having come from my family, knowing that, uh, you know, premarital sex was frowned upon and everything, Uh um, the idea of marriage and it being sooner than later was, um, that probably played a, a, a factor in that. But I mean, the, well, I mean, you're At in high school, day, like you got some, you, let's be honest, everyone's got, you know, hormones uh, raging. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. But you got to think, remember that by the time we got married, we had already been dating for four years. Right. You know, we dated all the way through high school. So we, we actually dated for longer before we got married than most adults date before they get married. Um, and our engagement was only a year and then we got married when we were 18. So, so we had spent years together, even though we were really young. And so at that point in time, there, it just didn't make sense to wait any longer. Uh, by the time we were 18 and we needed to move out of our parents' houses and get an apartment and everything, it's like, you know, we're doing this. Let's, let's do it the real way and the right way. And, and we did it and we got married. Well, that's, yeah, that's amazing. And, and in this day and age, it's kind of unheard of. So it was interesting, totally, you know, totally, yeah. um, um, to me. Uh, so mm-hmm. growing up, was it like super, super straight-laced family home? Um, and more specifically, like, were your parents against you listening to like, you know, certain music and stuff that wasn't Christian? Was that a factor? No. You see, like, um, yeah, my dad was a pastor, so I came from a Christian household, but we were never like a, a super religious household. You know what I mean? Um, the, the Christianity that, that I came up with is um, we believe that Jesus is and always will be um, – the savior and and the reason why we are able to um to love people the way that we should and and to act the way that we should and i think that a lot of people um when they find out that that i'm a believer they see that i'm so forward about it they they imagine that i'm really religious and i actually think religion is pretty disgusting like the rules and the regulations and the you know everything that makes religion um so frowned upon in in 2016 and everything is um i totally understand uh, for us, you know, it's a relationship. It's not a religion. And um, it, it's the foundation of our lives. And my wife and I and my family is who I'm speaking of. And, um, you know, it's just totally different than, than just like a set of rules or like a Sunday thing or, or anything like that. And so my dad, even though he's a pastor, he's super cool. Um, he, you know, he's super laid back and yeah. um, had a lot of trust in me. And uh, I learned so much from him about what it actually means to follow Jesus, uh, to love people and to treat people with respect instead of just uh, trying to follow some book of rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so no, but, he but wasn't I mean, like, like really like, straight-laced or Like, crazy for example, I didn't grow up, like my parents, I guess they're kind of religious or whatever. I never went to church or anything, you know, like I never learned about, like my grandmother used to make me do like, um, you know, say prayers before bed and stuff when I'd sleep at her house. But I like, basically I had no upbringing. However, you know, m- I remember I wanted this record when I was a kid um, by this Canadian like hair metal band called Slick Toxic. Uh, they were <laughs> fucking awful, and uh, I remember I wanted this this record for uh, uh, for 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 Christmas or whatever, my birthday or something, right? So I said, "Hey, I want this Slick Toxic record," and my mom went to buy it at the store, and she kind of flipped it over, and the first song had like the f word in in the title. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know if I can buy this for my 11 year old son. And, you know, I know like I've heard, you know, I read some other interviews with you and a lot of the bands that you talk about, like being in a big influence on were a lot of Christian bands. Yeah. So my mom was, was really strict with the music that I listened to. Okay. And so, you know so there I mean, was, like, so there was uh, uh, some of that in your household. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. My mom was actually a lot more, was, was a lot more strict than my dad was, um, regarding those things, you know, and, and my mom and my dad actually got divorced when I was really young. So, so, um, I had kind of their two different households where I had two different sets of rules, (laughs) which was probably pretty unhealthy for me at the time, you know, but, um, you know, my mom, um, and, and honestly, like, I don't blame her for it. Um, you know, she found a Metallica CD one time under my bed or whatever, and, uh, never gave it back to me and stuff like that. And I just, you know, like, I don't have kids. And so I don't know what it's like, but I imagine that 
when you've got this like human being that, you know, it, that, you know, you incubated in your stomach and it comes out and you just want to protect it and you just want to give it the best life possible. And you think, you know, I don't know anything about this metal band. I don't know how it will affect my son or my daughter. I just need to maybe keep this away from them until they can actually make the decision to, to not act on all the lyrics or to not, you know, and whatever. So I understand that there's, well, my mom, my mom loved Metallica. My mom still loves Metallica and Metallica never, they never even really swore in their music. No, for sure. But my mom was completely. So she she was was just a little bit like looked at the cover and was like, Whoa, you know, kill them all or whatever. This is probably not music. My son should be listening to. I I (laughs) guess I get that. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, um, but at the same time, I mean like the, you know, my, my mom was really involved in, in Christian music and, um, uh, my s- older sister who, um, played a big part in raising me as well. She's amazing. Um, she dated like some, some Christian musicians and stuff when I was growing up. And so that, oh, really? that, that whole, that whole music scene, like I came up in and, um, you know, at that time, the bands that were exciting that were playing the arena and stuff like that, my mom would always take me to go see. So I was really heavily involved in music, even though it wasn't, like secular or mainstream music or whatever. So did you um, think your sister's boyfriends were like super cool? Oh dude, like it that was that was everything to me. I was like that's pretty much the reason why I decided to to chase after music. I was like this looks <laughs> like the coolest lifestyle ever. My older brother was a musician as well. Um and had like some some local success in in one of his bands and stuff and Right, um, right. So, but no, yeah, I mean, I, uh, there are some, some really great bands back then that, that I used to go out and see. And my mom would take me to the Christian music festivals and stuff. And I would go see like MXPX and Goaty Hook and Bleach and like all these bands that were like punk rock yeah. Christian bands back then, you know? And, uh, and so I, you know, they might not be the coolest bands in the world to some people, but to me they are. And, and I, and I still love that music. And I put out like a, you know, like a CHR, like a Christian radio album last year, like a solo album. And, uh, it still lives in me, dude. Like, like I was raised on it. So it's like right. a part of me and, uh, I'll find myself going back to those radio stations when I'm driving too, and just, and, and loving the nostalgia of it. And just, uh, and it's still, it's still a very big part of my life. Yeah. It's just always so strange to me too, though. Like, cause you know, and I know out there, especially in the West coast, like with tooth and nail and everything, I guess that also helped, um, the scene, you know, the Christian music scene be bigger out there. But I always thought it was so funny, like how, you know, like, yeah, you said Goaty Hook. I, I thought they were called Fish Hook, but whatever. Um, or I think or, th- those might have been two different bands. No, it was spelt. It's I heard. I don't know if this is true. I know they're spelt like it's spelt G H O T I, right? Yeah. Hook. Yeah. I was told because I saw the name and I was like, oh, well, I guess it's Goaty Hook. And my friend's like, no, 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 it's Fish Hook. And the reason is because the G H is like, is like, you know, in the word tough. The GH is an F. And then the O is an I, like in um, shun, like like uh, imagination. And then, oh, or, or the, T- oh, all... that was the TI. The TI, sorry. The TI was, uh, was, was that. So that's apparently the, what the name of the band is. And if anyone's yeah, listening that's... to this and knows anything about this, they can correct me if I'm wrong. But I thought <laughs> it was like the totally dumbest right, name. And I, I might've just been out of the loop on that. Yeah. I definitely... That's way over my head. I it's, never heard. I don't. Like I don't that. know. Anyway, so I know. Apparently, I know more about Christian punk punk rock than you do. <laughs> but uh, I always thought it was <laughs> so awesome. funny though, like how how like you have this scene of bands that are all obviously, especially like like Slick Shoes, and there was this band from California that I loved, a Christian band called Broken Cedars. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard them, mm. um, but they had all these bands and it was like, they're obviously so influenced by like No Effects and Lagwagon and Bad Religion. Yet it's like this whole other scene, you know, the same way that like, where would all these Christian metal bands be without Slayer? Totally. No. Dude, and I absolutely. always thought that was yeah. super funny, you know, that, that you can't deny that influence, like the influence that uh, Cradle of Filth has on metal, you know, totally. but, but then totally. you kind of yeah, forget absolutely. about that and you have your own like scene. So it's, I always thought that was weird. Christian music is and always will be driven by lyrics. It's like, okay. it, where, whereas in other genres and other, you know, places, it's just like, it's, it's about the whole package. It's about the music. It's about everything. And I think that like a lot of those metal bands and, um, a lot of those punk bands and everything that influence these Christian artists and everything definitely like paved the way for those genres. Absolutely. Um, but as far as like Christian music is concerned, I mean, even like on Christian radio now, you'll notice that like the vocals always sit way too high in the mix. 
because yeah. that's what that's what drives Christian music. And I think that essentially like kids want to listen to rock and roll or kids want to listen to punk rock or want to listen to metal or whatever. And a lot of parents are just like, you know, Hey, like I'm all about whatever genre you're about, but, but I, I don't want you to have any, you know, any negative influence in your life. You know, I think that there is there that definitely there is music that does influence certain people negatively. And, um, like I said, I don't have kids or anything. I don't know what that's like, but if I did, I would imagine that, you know, I, I might want to protect what they were hearing at a young age and while their brains were forming too, you know? And so, um, for me, dude, it's just like, that's, that's what I was given to listen to when I was a kid. So I was really thankful for it. And, um, and, but yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the mainstream music that influenced Christian music definitely, definitely paved the way. I'll, I'll agree with you that on that all day. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have any kids, um, but you've been married for nine years. Is there any, uh, any plans to have children? I don't know. You know, I just, um, for us, it's, it's always, you know, I tour a lot, you know that, and I know you tour a lot as well. And, um, I just, if we were to choose to have kids in the future, um, I would just want to be home a lot more. I'd want to be present. And, uh, I know a lot of people are able to do it, um, balance their schedules with touring and and their kids and everything. And, and I think that's rad. It's just for, for me, I just feel like that would be so tough. And, um, so at this point, uh, Memphis is not slowing down anytime soon. No. And so in the foreseeable future, uh, no, no kids yet. And um, I guess another thing that's you got on your plate that takes up a lot of time is your uh, is your new solo project. Uh, well, right. relatively new. Um, when you you put a record out, your self titled debut record. When did that come out? Uh, it came out last year. Um, I can't remember what month it was dropped in. Someone <laughs> someone that's listening might might remember, but. Um, I don't know. Someone's uh, screaming at the at their phone. It was March or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, okay, it's okay, man. Chill out, chill out, dude. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just about a year, year and a half ago, something like that, and um, came out on Rise, and uh, it was for fun, man. It was something just uh, t- kind of testing the waters and seeing what would happen with it. More than anything, I think it was. Uh, really therapeutic for me to do something that was so polar opposite from the band. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I just, I, I spend so much time writing and recording and touring on Memphis stuff and uh, that I wanted to do something different and something a little bit more like what I grew up listening to. And um, I've got all the love in the world for heavy music and, and what we do in Memphis and so much energy in a live show. And, and it's just, it, it's wonderful, dude. But it's, um, but I needed to do something different just to kind of satisfy that other part of me as an artist, I guess. I totally and, um, get I totally get that. I mean I'm working on a solo project myself and actually when this awesome. comes out it will be launched. Uh so oh, it's wow, called cool. it's called River Oaks, which is uh the name of the community like where I grew up. And it's kind of oh, just rad. a throwback to, you know, my upbringing and, and some of the music and, and stuff that inspired me when I was younger. And uh yeah, it's the same thing with me. I'm doing it all myself and I'm writing and playing everything and you know, there won't be any screaming. <laughs> so, you know, that it's just a little more uh my speed, you know, kind of at my age, I guess. Yeah, totally. It's been a long time kind of in the making and um I guess part of the part of the reason that I never worked on it uh, earlier was just because just so busy, you know, with Silverstein all the time and now I finally found a little bit of time, but I am a little bit worried, like, like, uh, about balancing it, you know, with the time with, you know, oh, being able to do like a tour for this or show for this. And then also, you know, be able to do tour Silverstein full time. Did you find that was a problem for you finding the balance? I didn't want this project to be a threat to the band at all. And, um, you know, those are my dudes. That's my family. Those are the guys that, you know, that, that I came up with. And, um, and so I wanted them not only to not feel threatened by it, but to support it and to be excited about it. So, um, so I've, I've made it totally on it at all at this point, um, essentially to never let it affect Memphis's tour schedule or release schedule or record sales or anything. And so it's just a totally different market. I don't plan on pursuing it full time anytime soon, but cool. It is something that might be there for me if if the band doesn't last forever, which is you know pretty normal in uh, in our day and age, yeah. you know. And uh, so it's just something cool to have on the side, something to do for fun, and something to satisfy my soul and um, in another way, and you know something that I can throw lyrics at that I would never be able to throw it at, at a Memphis record. And um, but yeah, I just I don't I choose to not let it affect the band whatsoever. Absolutely, man. Are you? Did you put me on speakerphone or something or what? 
No, you know, you started sounding like that too. Oh it's yeah, it sounds like it's um, uh, it sounds like it's like there's like a delay or it's yeah, it sounds like co- kind of like chorus or something. Yeah, I wonder if that's actually going to come through on the podcast. Yeah, or it's just what we're I hearing. On might, our hang on a second. I'm going to, uh, and then I'm going to. Do, do I sound better now? You yours actually went away like a, a couple minutes ago, oh, but it was like that for a little while. Oh yeah, you still sound a little like that. Well, I don't know. What are we going to do? So. Yeah. Whatever. Hey, if, if you sound a little bit like if if Maddie sounds a little bit like he's on the Chipmunks, the new Chipmunks movie, then uh, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I think I sound like that, anyways. Yeah, I think that's just my <laughs> that's just my talking voice. Uh, so I want to talk. I want to tell you a little story. Um, back uh, on the Warp Tour of 2013, uh, we didn't really meet face to face, but I'll be honest, I kind of didn't like you very much. And one thing that you were saying on stage that really bothered me was you were saying this, saying this story about how you were like the voice of a generation. Do you remember saying this? Mm. I, yeah, I remember that speech. And, and for some reason, I found, sort of, I found it like a little bit, I don't want to say arrogant, but I, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Totally. And um, it wasn't until really like this past summer when I like started talking to you and seeing you around and stuff and you know, we became friends that I was like, man, like this guy is, is just a positive uplifting dude. But for some reason, like that speech came off really like I found, I don't know, it came, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And then I heard that like issues wrote a song about it or something. So I just want to know what you thought about it. And if you had like a different intention for the way it might've been perceived by some people. Yeah, totally. So, um, the speech, and I told it the same every day, I think that um, if people are walking by the stage and they only hear a, a certain part of it or whatever, like it's going to sound super arrogant. It's yeah. going to sound ridiculous. But the entire speech um, was every day that my school counselor when I was in high school, um, I wasn't doing so well. And she told me like, you know, you got to get your act together if you want to, to have a chance at life, you know, what is it that you, what, what are you going to do with your life? Don't you want to be a doctor or don't you want to be a lawyer? Don't you want to, you know, uh, provide for your future family substantially? And, uh, and I always said at the end of the speech, I told my school counselor, I was like, I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything. I want to be the voice of a generation. And, uh, it was like a desire for me as a kid. Like I want to, I feel like I have something to say, and I want to inspire people. And that was the message. Um, and I think that since I said it a lot on 2013, I think I said it almost every day. Yeah. And uh, before a certain song. And I think that a lot of people would pick out um, certain parts of it and get offended by it or like kind of like brand me as like arrogant or anything because of uh, because of like the th- those specific words I was using. Um, and I wasn't at all saying and I never did say like I am the voice of a generation or I am like the coolest thing ever. I was just giving kids what I thought was, was a message of hope saying like, you know, if, if you're, if you're failing at something, don't feel like a failure. If, if people see you and don't understand what it is that you want to do with your life, that doesn't matter. You can be whatever it is that you want it to be. And right now I'm standing on this stage and I'm holding a microphone because I chose not to listen to my school counselor. And, uh, and so that was the message. And, and I, and I wish that every single person that had an opinion about me had a chance to sit down and hang out with me for 15 minutes because I think they would feel totally different, oh, yeah. you know, but it, you know, I think that it kind of goes two ways, you know, like I think that a, as as someone who has a microphone, as someone who's in the public eye a lot or whatever, you really got to be careful about the words that you use and, and, uh, and how you tell stories and all of that. If you don't want people to get the wrong opinion of you. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's like, you know, how, how much of my life do I want to spend kind of like walking on eggshells so that people won't just pick out certain phrases, um, out of my sentences and and turn me and demonize me. You know what I mean? Right. No. Well, I mean, if anything, I think, I think you're almost, I don't know. I think sometimes you almost don't put yourself out there enough with how you really feel. Like you're almost so like, you're so positive and you know what I mean? And you're, you're a lot of times you're not controversial at all, you know, with things you say and do. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they, they, they see me that way and they don't, um, and they, and, and so everyone's kind of always looking for something to pin me with, you know, like waiting for me to say something that they can, you know, raise hell about, you know, right, yeah. and, that's, uh, that's and, a and, and so observation and, uh, and that's fine with me, dude. Like I, 
when, when I get on social media and I see people going on negative rants and everything, it brings me down. And, and like, I don't want to be that person. I want to use the platform that I've been given and social media and, and songs and everything to share a message of hope. Yep. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a human being and I have horrible days like anybody else. And I've written songs about like uh, sleepless nights on our last record was about my struggle with anxiety and what a panic attack feels like. I tried to describe it in that song and I didn't write it so that I could tell everybody that I was going through something negative. I wrote it because when I was experiencing anxiety, the thing that always brought me the most peace was knowing that I wasn't alone in it, hearing someone else talk about it, feeling like I wasn't going crazy or I wasn't losing my mind, that there's other people experiencing it. So I do put some of that in my music, but when it comes to social networking and, and, um, interviews and stuff like that, man, it's like, I just don't, I don't feel the need to be negative just to let people know that I'm human. I want to take an opportunity and make a choice to be positive and to spread positivity so that that's what people get out of my interviews. That's what people get out of following me on social networking, because that's what I would like to see more of when I'm there. Does that make sense? That, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally get it. And, and it's not your job uh, to, you know, you know, you're there if you're doing an interview it's, you know, you don't have to, you can say whatever the fuck you want, you know, and you can, and you don't have to talk about your personal life. You don't have to talk about what you believe in or whatever. It's your choice to, to, to steer it however you want to say it. But there are times when I find in interviews you like, you're very, very like deliberate in, in the way that you're saying things. Uh, and I don't want to say you're tiptoeing around issues, but sometimes you kind of like, you know, you're, you're a little bit, you're not so candid, you know? Yeah, totally. So, Man, I think that maybe there's a part of my personality. This is me just being totally transparent, but you know, I think that there's a part of me that like that has opened up a little bit in the past about uh, frustrations with things and stuff like that. And and all I've ever gotten from it is flack and people twisting my words ah, and people yeah. misunderstanding me and people turning me into something that I'm not. So here I am, like living in my body. And everyone around me is telling me who I am and how I am and, and, and all that. And, and, and it just, it's such a waste, dude. It's like, if, if I speak ill of someone else, or if I say something controversial one day and it's how I feel, and then a month from then I don't feel that way anymore, or I've gotten past it, or I've forgiven that person or whatever. And I go back and that interview is still on YouTube and people are still watching it as if that's how I feel that day. Right. And so for me, it's like, dude, like who, who do I want to, what do I want to see when I look back on all of my public appearances, if you will, you know, like I want to see that, like I was choosing to ignore the negativity in my life and choosing to embrace the positivity in my life and to spread that rather than spreading rumors or some scene garbage that's happening, you know, in AP magazine or whatever, like some, some conflict or somebody wrote a song about me because they don't know me. You know, it's like, I don't want to talk about that. I would rather spread what I want to see months or years from now when I look back on my career. I fully back it, dog. That's well put. Cool. Very well put. No. And um, when was the last time you had an argument with your wife? <laughs> Do we never? Argue about really you never funny had an stuff, argument. Dude. Sorry, go ahead. No, we, we argue about really funny stuff. Like every time she posts a picture of our dog, she, she hashtags his first, middle, and last name. And I don't. I only use his first and last name. So we have these two totally different hashtags where we can see all these awesome photos of our dog. And I'm like, listen, we got to come to an agreement on this. What's it going to be? <laughs> and, uh, so no, we, we argue about funny stuff or, you know, like, um, you know, I, I've pretty much just agreed to eat whatever she wants for dinner for the rest of my life, because if it's what I want, then she'll pick at it for a couple minutes and then not eat the rest of it. Oh, dude, <laughs> you know? Deciding where to so, eat is the fucking worst. Yeah. Oh. yeah. But, but dude, I'm honest, honest to God, and I don't say it to sound ridiculous, but we just, we really argue less than, than a lot of other people. I think that, like I said before, man, like the first time we ever lived outside of our parents' houses was together. And like, right. the, you know, like the first, a lot of our first time experiences for everything in life has been together and we've just grown together. And, uh, and so it's, it's been a huge advantage in, in our marriage and in our relationship for sure. Well, it's a beautiful thing, man. So uh, I won't take up too much of your time. I know I kind of sprung this on you an hour early. 
uh, but we'll blame the publicist for that one. But um, uh, what's up? <laughs> what's up next for um, for Memphis? You guys have a record. Uh, do you know when it's coming out? Yeah, no, sorry. I know when we're recording, which is next month, but I don't know when it's coming out. <laughs> and you don't have a title um, or anything yet? No, you know, it's funny too, because I'm done writing lyrics, but it's so hard for me to name a record until it's done, until I can actually feel like the vibe of the entire record. I don't want to just take a song title that I think is like the single and, and try to summarize an entire album with that title. You know, like I really want to get to the end of the record and be like, this is how this makes me feel. Um, and, and then name it that way, which rise hates because they like to start prepping for album release stuff like months before. Um, yeah. so I'm sure they'll put a little bit of pressure on me, um, before I'm totally done with the record and, and I'll, and I'll come up with a title or whatever, but I really do need to get, you know, just deep into the recording process and start really feeling the vibe of the record before I name it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, if we track next month, you know how, how, how it works with records coming out. It'll probably be three or four months or whatever from then. Yep. Um, and we'll see. Uh, but aside from that, we just today, actually, we announced a tour that we're doing with Killswitch Engage and 36 Crazy Fists. Um, crazy. 36 Crazy? That's, uh, I know those guys. They're from Alaska. Yeah, yeah totally. They're, uh, yeah, they're great dudes. Great dudes. Definitely. We actually got to play um, Warp Tour with them in Alaska. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that's right. This, yeah, this you guys were on year. that that so, thing. Um, we've played Alaska twice before, and it's um, so cool. Man, man. Alaska rules. I love Alaska. It does, man. It really is so beautiful. And what's crazy is it reminded me a lot of Spokane. You know where I'm from. When we were there, Anchorage itself felt a lot like Spokane to me. Just the scenery and the vibe, and it's just got that Northwest feel to me. Um, but people party so way harder in Alaska. Yeah, they do for sure, for sure. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Um, but no, we uh, we've got that tour with Killswitch, um, and then we've got some other touring plans as well. Almost immediately after that, that we have not announced yet. So beautiful. Well, Maddie, yeah. Uh, what about you? What about you guys, man? What's Silverstein? Oh, to? dude. Well, um, I got the solo thing that that just was announced. I guess when people are listening to this, um, and. We have a we have a tour a B market tour which we're unfortunately we're skipping Spokane on that. Oh, dude! Uh, you know what? It was on the uh, it was on the routing at one point, and we unfortunately we had to make a choice between uh, what was it? We had to make a choice between Vancouver, or, you know, and going from Calgary over to Vancouver and down, or cutting th- down through Spokane. And uh, we decided to give our Canadian brothers in Vancouver some love. Uh, Dude, so I, would, I, I back that. I think all of our Canadian shows have been some of my favorite shows of all time. Oh yeah, so. I mean Canada's great except for the weather. Whew. Yeah, totally. Winnipeg is so tough. It's cold. Uh, it's cold in Nashville, isn't it? Right now, I w- I was hearing it's like in the negatives in uh, in Nashville, isn't it? Yeah, it's super cold right now. It's not in the negatives. Uh, it was like 20 yesterday. It's like 18 degrees today or something. And it's supposed to snow tomorrow, but this is the coldest it's been yet this year right. you know like on christmas day it was 75 degrees <laughs> see see i mean negative celsius that's how we roll up oh, here because okay, okay. basically like and and fahrenheit is fucking stupid let's be honest because <laughs> celsius actually makes sense when you get to zero that's when water freezes and everything below is negative so when you tell someone what the temperature is it's actually informative you're like oh it's it's negative two okay well that means that there could be snow you know what dude i'm not i'm not I'm not going to fight that. I think that's reasonable. With, with with Fahrenheit, you have to be like, oh, it's 32, and oh, it's no, but it's 29, so it's freezing. Well, 29's not freezing. 29's a beautiful day, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally back that. You know, aren't we, isn't like, isn't the U.S. like the only place in the world that uses Fahrenheit? It is, yeah. I, I mean, as far as I know, it is. And um, Canada's really messed up because we used to use Fahrenheit. So like when our parents talk to each other, they're, they're talking in Fahrenheit and, and, um, we, we, you know, we still use like feet and inches. Like I know how tall I am in feet and inches. I have no idea how tall I am in centimeters, but, yeah, but totally. centimeters is like the standard, like Canadian thing. So even though we all talk like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm five foot 10 or whatever. Um, no, like I have no idea how many centimeters I am, but like people will be like, we're looking for a 185 centimeter male. It's like I don't even know what that is. Yeah, that is. So wild. we have this really bad mixture of 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 imperial and uh, and metric. Yeah, if you but if you're gonna change an entire country to 
from Fahrenheit to Celsius. How do, how do you even do that? Like the government sent out a mass email like, hey, everybody, just so you know, we're switching this as of today. Like, how, I how mean, did- there wasn't an email. There was an email in like the 1960s or 70s whenever they did it. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess something like that. Yeah, I guess they just God, decided so like wild. we'll get with the rest of the world. And then America was like, we are the rest of the world. So we're just going to do our own thing. Uh, but that's you know it it is it is super weird and um and it's funny because like certain there's still certain things like i'm pretty good with both fahrenheit and celsius just from traveling but there's certain things like i don't know in celsius either like i know a pool like a pool temperature like 80 to 85 is a nice pool temperature i have no idea what that is in celsius i have to like think about the conversion so it's you know it's certain things we, we still talk about in fahrenheit and then other things we always talk about in celsius so it's it's super weird that is super weird, dude. Well, Shane, thank you so much for having me on this thing, dude. Like, I really, I, I love you as a person, and I love Silverstein, and I'm, I'm just a big fan all, in, all around. I love so. you too, Maddie, and I'm glad I got to know you a little bit, bit better uh, on the last Warp Tour, and we, uh, we're bros, bros now. Me too. I, I love it when people get to know me, and I get to know people, and uh, I think that's how life's supposed to be. Not, not about magazines and Hell no, statements man. on stage. Hell so. no. Awesome, dude. Hey, have a great uh, rest of the day, and uh, I'll let you know when this is, uh, this is all ready. Sounds good. Also, let me know when you drop your solo thing. I'd love to help you promote it. You're going to hear about it like on this Friday. This Friday, it's cool. coming. So. All right. Sounds good, brother. I'll we have a good one. Over. Thanks, Maddie. Take care. Easy. All right. See you. So you can see me and Maddie, we're, we're bros. Everything is cool. And it really like, maybe I was a little overdramatic. It wasn't like I hated the guy or anything. I just, like he said, you know, I would walk past the stage catch a couple words or that part of that speech he would make. And I guess I didn't fully understand what he was saying, um, but I wasn't alone. You know, some other people on the tour felt that way too. Um, but I felt it was good for me to ask him about it. And, um, you know, he really is just a straight up positive dude. And he really does want to spread a message of hope and a message of good. And um, that's something I can, uh, I can really, really respect. Anyways, next week, we've got a great show. It's going to be a little more punk rock next week, I think. I'm going to talk to one of my favorite band's lead singers. So I'm excited. I hope you are too. Uh, make sure you're subscribed so you're getting this stuff right to your phone or your tablet or whatever you listen to podcasts on. And uh, we'll see you next week. I will leave you with a jam. I'll leave you with um, a very big hit, kicking out the slow jams, at least for lead singer syndrome, that is. This is Miles Away by Memphis Mayfire featuring Kellen Quinn. Peace and love. My bags and say goodbye to my wife for what seems like the millionth time. They said it gets easier, but they lied. She looks at me and says, Really, baby, I will be just fine. But then she looks away, so I don't have to see. Her cry, and that is when I ask myself.
找温暖。